This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. In almost the 40 years that I have been pastor here, I've taken great measures to preach the whole counsel of the Word of God. And believe me, I believe it from cover to cover. And uh, it's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Bible prophecy is a significant part of the Word. Some preachers do not preach it because of the time that it takes to study and prepare. You would also be surprised that some do not preach it because some simply do not believe it. And that's a heartbreak to any pastor worth their salt. I remember one time I was sitting in a waiting room in a hospital and there were some elderly people in there waiting for their loved one to come out of surgery as well. And one thing led to another. And I always have the compulsion, I guess is a good word, to bring up the Lord somewhere along the line. And you want to strike up a conversation, get on a crowded elevator and just whisper Jesus and see what that does for you. <laughs> That'll start something quick. But the elderly people were sitting around me and uh, we started conversing and they said, um, you know, um, you have a loved one in surgery and so forth. Yes, I'm waiting with someone. And one thing led to another. And we got on church. And uh, what church you pastor and so forth. And then, what are you preaching on? I said, oh, I'm preaching on second coming. And I, you could just see the, there, there's a, a wiggle squirm. And you could just see that a little bit. And the, the lady said, uh, oh, my goodness. We, we don't want that kind of preaching in our church. And I said, oh, why? Tell me why. She said, oh, it's too frightening. It's too scary. We, we don't like those kind of sermons. We like those sermons that, you know, talk about love. And, and God is love, for God so loved the world. But I will tell you this. The realities about life are so real that we cannot afford to take a chance let an opportunity slide by without preaching this whole book. It's important. As a pastor, I have three primary goals. One is to preach the gospel. And I would consider that first and foremost, to preach the gospel. I have a responsibility to preach it and also to, when I speak the gospel, preach the gospel, it's, it's a desire within me to see lost people come to know Christ as their Savior. It's the only way they can go to heaven. Secondly, I have a responsibility to help the church, believers, the bride of Christ. I have a responsibility to help you live in this world, to live life successfully as a Christian. And so I not only have the responsibility to help prepare you on how to live. But number three, I have a responsibility to help you prepare how to die. And so we have to preach the gospel and we have to live in this world, but this world is not our final home. As the old song says, we're just pilgrims passing through. And so today's message probably is one of those that uh, these folks in the hospital wouldn't appreciate much. Uh, because it talks about judgment. And judgment is a subject that I think most people are not comfortable with, but it's part of what is yet to come. I'm going to give you a lot of scriptures, as I mentioned, and I want you to stay with me, follow along carefully. As we talk about this aspect of the first advent of the Lord's return, immediately following the rapture, and that is the judgment seat of Christ. And so if you look with me in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, I want to read this passage for you. 
The Apostle Paul is writing, and he says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We'll mention the Scripture several other occasions in the message today. For those of you who may not be really familiar with the particular time period that we're living in right now, it's important for you to know that it's called the dispensation of grace. We're living in the age of grace right now. Jesus, after he had preached to John and Andrew, he called his disciples to this little place called Caesarea of Philippi. And Andrew had heard the message of Jesus and was so moved and compelled in his heart to find his brother Peter and to tell him, Peter, we have found the Messiah. You've got to come hear him. You've got to come see him, hear the words that he has to say. And so these few band of men got together they congregated in this little place called Caesarea Philippi, and Jesus began to teach and he began to speak. And in the course of the question, he looked out among these guys and he said, who do men say that I am? And the feedback, some said, well, the rumor in town is that you are Jeremiah, you are Elijah. Some say you're John the Baptist. And then with his compelling message, he looked directly in the eyes of Simon Peter and he says, but who do you say that I am? Instantly, Peter was moved with great conviction and he said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And it was there in this little place and I will take some of you, some of you are going with me to the Holy Land in a few days. I'll take you to the spot where Peter made this great confession. But Peter not only made a great confession there in this place, but Jesus went on to say, as he looked into the eyes of Peter, he said, upon this rock, and he wasn't referring to Peter, he was referring to himself, Jesus is the rock hewn out of the mountain. He is the rock of ages. Jesus said, upon this rock, I would build my church he said, I'll build it, and he said, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He didn't say that the gates of hell wouldn't fight. He said they wouldn't prevail. And so Jesus said, I'm going to build the church upon me. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus is not building the church with bricks and mortars. Jesus is building the church with believers born-again children of God. So please listen carefully this morning as we talk about this message. Just as the church age had a beginning, it will also have an ending. Grace began at the cross, and it will end with the rapture. And as I've already said, the rapture is the next prophetic event on God's timetable. If you have your bulletin, I want to try to get through this as quick as I can. There's a lot of information, a lot of Bible here, so bear with us as we go through it. But it's important that you have these sermons, that you know what's about to come, what's about to take place, and what happens when it does. Number one on your bulletin today, we're going to talk about the Bible clearly tells us how the rapture will take place. And so... I want us to look at a familiar passage of Scripture the Apostle Paul is writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16 and 18. I want to try to give you some truths today maybe you're not really familiar with. But this is what he says in verse 16. He said, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel. And I would encourage you to underline that the archangel this morning, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Now again, this is the description of the rapture. In verse 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. 
and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Now, let me say something about this word archangel. You have it. You see it in the scripture this morning. I've asked you to underline it. The word archangel is only mentioned twice in the scripture. This is important. Now, the Bible has multitudes of angelic appearances. But there are only two times in the entire word of God where this word archangel is mentioned. Once here in the text that we have just read. And the second place that it is mentioned is in the book of Jude and verse 9. They'll get that scripture on the screen for you and I want you to see it. Yet Michael, the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst, or that word durst means dared, dared not bring accusation against him, a railing accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke thee. So here's the thing about this word archangel that I want you to understand this morning. This word is not written in the plural tense. Both times in the word of God where the word archangel is mentioned, it's written in the singular tense. That's important. You know that singular means one. And so I know many people believe that we're waiting for Gabriel to sound his trumpet. And I know we sing it all the time in the midnight cry when Gabriel sounds the call. But listen, that's not really accurate. Nowhere in the Bible, in the entire word, does archangel ever refer to Gabriel. So please keep that in mind. Number two. We meet the Lord in the air when the rapture takes place. Again, we want to read these verses from Paul's writing in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. Now, when this happens, again, you notice carefully the Bible says to meet the Lord in the air. You see, when the rapture takes place, here's how it's going to work. And, and by the way, there is not a living human being on this earth that knows when that's going to take place. Many people have claimed to know, and they have wrote books about setting dates, but the word is clear that concerning the return of Jesus, that no man knows the day nor the hour when the Son of Man will come. Not even the angels in heaven. Jesus said, but my Father only. But there's going to come a day. How do I know that? How do you know that? Because it's in the word of God. And as believers, listen, the book, the Bible is a book of faith. We, we have two choices, to believe it or not to believe it. I happen to believe it, every word. And the word is clear that Jesus is coming again. And the word says this, that on God's prophetic calendar, and only he knows when, but there is an appointed day when that day will take place and he will signal the Lord Jesus, he will say, today is the wedding day. And by the way, Jesus is referred to as the bridegroom. The church is referred to, referred to as the bride. And so he will speak these words to Jesus, today's your wedding day. Go get your bride. Jesus will stand from the place where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. And God the Father will signal the archangel. According to the word of God, the archangel will blow a trumpet. And that trumpet, according to the word of God, is going to wake the dead. You see, when and I explained this last Sunday in detail. When a person dies in Christ, this is important. When a person dies in Christ, they lower the body into the ground, but their spirit, their soul, goes immediately to be in the presence of the Lord. Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. 
But when the rapture takes place and the trumpet sounds, this is a day of transformation. This is going to be the day when we receive a glorified body. What happens is the trumpet will sound. Jesus will leave the place where he's sitting at the right hand of the Father. He will take his place on center stage in the air. The trump of God wakes the dead. Immediately, there is going to be a transformation where the glorification or the glorified body begins to take its shape and form. And while this is taking place, then those of us who are alive and remain will be caught up with them in the clouds. In fact, the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye. All of this is going to take place in the twinkling of an eye. The dead will be raised first, then we which are alive and remain will be caught up together. And then the word says this, a lot of things happening in the twinkling of an eye. Jesus leaves the place where he's sitting. He takes his place on center stage in the air. Michael, he will sound the trumpet. The dead in Christ will be raised. Those of us who are saved, born again, we will be translated with them. We will receive a glorified body and like a huge vacuum, every born again believer on this earth will be sucked out of this atmosphere that we call right here earth. We'll meet the Lord in the air and according to the word of God, this is when everything begins to unfold for us. Immediately, when all of this takes place, can you imagine just for a moment the devastation all over the world for people who are left behind, who are not saved, who will not be caught up in the rapture? Think about pilots who are flying 747s. Think about conductors behind an Amtrak train. Think about all the millions of vehicles on the road. Think about what's going to happen when God's people are raptured from this earth to meet the Lord in the air. You see, multitudes of people will be left behind. Not everyone will go. But every born-again child of God will go. By the way, next Sunday I'm preaching this message. And you have asked yourself this question many times, or you have been asked this question many times. Well, pastor, when the rapture takes place and there are people left behind, will there be a second chance for people to be saved after the rapture? You will not want to miss that message. You think about the chaos that's taking place all over the globe. Now the appointed day has come. Jesus at center stage in the air. Every born-again believer is there. And, and I want to emphasize something. There is a difference between the rapture and the revelation. When, when the rapture takes place and this world, the lost of the world is left behind, they will enter in, into, in immediately into what is called the seven-year tribulation period. There's going to be a first segment of the tribulation called the first three and a half years, but then there's going to be a second element. By the way, the first three and a half years of the tribulation, the world will experience what is called a false peace by the false prophet, the Antichrist, will set up a global economy that people have been drooling for all of their lives. It will be a false peace. During this first three and a half years, the, the believers, we will be with the Lord in the air for what is called the judgment seat of Christ. That's what we're talking about now. Now, the judgment seat of Christ will last for three and a half years. And then after the first three and a half years, we go to what is called the marriage supper of the Lamb, seven years total. This world who does not know Jesus will go into the first half of the tribulation, a false sense of peace in the world economy, and then they will go into the time of Jacob's trouble, the great day of judgment, so to speak. And then at the end of these seven years, the judgment seat of Christ and the marriage supper of the Lamb, and then the first half of the tribulation and the second three and a half years. So after these years, seven, have expired, then the Lord returns in what is called the revelation. He comes with his church, 
comes with his bride. And according to the word of God, when he comes seven years after the rapture takes place, the word says in that day his feet shall stand upon the Mount of Olives. The mountain will cleave in two. According to the word of God, we will come down the eastern slopes of the Mount of Olives. The Lord Jesus will lead the host of heaven with him. He will lead us across the Kidron Valley. He will go through the eastern gate, and he will take his place upon the throne of David, where the scripture says he'll rule and reign for a thousand years. That's called the millennial reign of Christ. But let's back that up a little bit. The rapture takes place. Every born-again child of God, everyone that has been counted righteous, like a vacuum, will evacuate this earth. Not only believers, but the Holy Spirit as well. And we will meet the Lord in the air. And then this is where the judgment for believers will take place. Now, again, I emphasize only believers will be at the judgment seat of Christ. It's a very important thing to note because there will not be one single lost person at the judgment seat of Christ. There is a judgment for them. In fact, it's called the great white throne. Do not confuse the judgment seat of Christ with the great white throne. They're entirely different. Only believers at the judgment seat. I want you to look at Revelation 20. Revelation 20, verse 10 through 11. I want you to see this, if you will, just for a moment. And I want to read these scriptures for you. The Bible says this, And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. In verse number 11, And I saw a great white throne. This is for unbelievers. And him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. This is a separate judgment from the judgment seat of Christ. This judgment takes place after the millennial reign of Christ. All right, I want you to keep that in mind. Stay focused with me here. Now, I want you to go back to this scripture we have been looking at in 2 Corinthians 5.10. I want you to see this. I want to break it down for you because there's some important things that uh, we cannot ignore or just take casually here. When you look at 2 Corinthians 5.10, I want you to notice the word must, for we must. And in my Bible, I have highlighted that word, and perhaps I would encourage you to do that as well. Because that word must means that it is a required necessity from every believer. In fact, Jesus said, let me give you a parallel here. In, in John chapter 3 and verse number 7, Jesus said this, Marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. So in John 3, 7, when Jesus spoke those words, he said, ye must be born again. When you read this scripture, for we must, the word must that Jesus used about being born again is the same word must as you read here in 2 Corinthians 5.10. It has the same importance. Why are you bringing that out, preacher? Because I'm telling you this, there comes no exception to salvation. If a person is going to go to heaven, they've got to go through Jesus. Not another way. They've got to go through Jesus. In fact, let me clarify that just for a moment. Jesus is not the best way to heaven. He's not the good way to heaven. He's not another way to heaven. He's the only way to heaven. That's what he said. He said, I am the way, not a better way. I'm, he didn't say I'm an alternate way. I'm one of many ways. That's not what he said. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. So if a person's going to go to heaven, they've got to go through Jesus. It's going to be by the blood. I like the blood songs this morning. But here's the thing. There are no exceptions to salvation, and there are no exceptions to this judgment seat where all of us as believers will have to account to the Lord Jesus. We'll have to give an account. Now, as you look back at 2 Corinthians 5.10 again, I want you to notice the word all. It's in the same passage. We must all. There are no exceptions. Absolutely. No excuses made. Every believer, we will be assembled at the judgment seat, 
And the scripture is very clear. We must all give an account. Now, the next word in that passage, we must all look at the word appear. And that's a spiritual summons that every believer has. No one can escape that as a child of God. Number four in your bulletin. So why is there a judgment seat? Why? Why didn't God just take us all to heaven just in the blink of an eye? Well, he ultimately will. We'll ultimately enjoy the new Jerusalem throughout the endless ages, as well as the new heavens and the new earth, as the scriptures teach. But why is there a judgment seat? Look at the next words in this passage in 2 Corinthians 5.10. For we must all appear, and here's the reason why, before the judgment seat, that everyone, every single person, may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. And so this is the day that the Lord Jesus has set aside to have a reckoning with his people. It's going to be certainly a time of judgment, but not just judgment. It's going to be a time of reward as well. And so there's a positive element to the judgment seat of Christ, and there's a negative aspect. I don't want to spend a lot of time with the negative part of it this morning. We will eventually in this series, but I want to took, uh, take some time to look at the positive realms of it. So pertaining to the rewards at the judgment seat of Christ, and some might assume that because some are going to have more rewards in heaven than others, and you say, is that true, preacher? Absolutely. I'll show you how and why in just a minute. But there will be some people who will have more rewards in heaven than others. And so as we develop that thought, and as you think about that this morning, it, it creates some very interesting conversation because if some people in heaven are going to have more rewards than others, well, does that mean that there are going to be some people in heaven who are happier than others. Well, that even creates a broader perspective and conversation because if that's the case, preacher, if there are going to be people in heaven who have more rewards than others, and that is it possible that there are going to be people in heaven who are happier? than those who have less rewards? And if that's the case, the people who have less rewards, isn't that going to make them jealous in heaven? Now you think about all of that stuff that we think about because we have finite minds and that makes sense to us. But I can assure you there are not going to be any jealousies in heaven. There are not going to be any frictions and clicks and commotion and chaos in heaven. That's not going to exist. But there are going to be rewards in heaven, and I will tell you how we get them and what they are for in just a minute. In fact, the Bible says that the rewards that are going to be given and rewards will be given at the judgment seat of Christ, the Bible speaks of five specific crowns, five. I want you to think about that. Well, pastor, if heaven is a place of rewards, some are going to get more than others. You're saying that it's not going to make a difference. It's not going to create any friction, no jealousy. But let me ask you this. So if you're saying there are five crowns in heaven, does that mean that there's going to be a place in heaven for five crowners? And then there's a corner in heaven for four crowners? And then there's a place over here for three crowners? Well, you think about that. If heaven was divided like that, there could very easily be some friction and tension going on over there. Because there'd be people strutting all over the streets of gold saying, hey, I'm a five. You're a two. That's not the way God intended it. There are going to be five specific crowns given. I'm going to talk about that. Listen, this, this thing about the judgment seat is going to be so personalized. It's going to be so focused on the individual that we're not going to have time to look around and be preoccupied with what 
other people are experiencing and what they're going through and what they receive, we're going to be dealing one-on-one with the perfect, spotless, sinless Lamb of God. And I believe that the only emotion that is going to be at the judgment seat of Christ will be only one of two, and that is we will either be rejoicing or we will either stand ashamed. You say, what do you mean by that, preacher? Because I do think it's possible for a believer, even though he is saved and sealed into the day of redemption and he meets the Lord in the air and he has heaven for all eternity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, I do believe it's possible for a person to be ashamed at his coming because it's what the Word says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 28. And now, little children, read the Scripture. Abide in him that when he shall appear, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. And so let me say now, and I'll move on quickly here, I want to discuss the three aspects of the judgment seat of Christ. This is very important. Again, listen, let's rehearse this real quickly. Where does the judgment take place? Where are the rewards given out? First of all, there are some rewards given to us, by the way, here on earth. And we call those rewards blessings. Every one of us know what a blessing is. All of us have been blessed by the grace of God. We know what it is to be blessed. But let me emphasize something, that you can be blessed in this life by God because of your faithful service. You're you're serving Him in the right perspective. And you can enjoy the fruit of being blessed in this life now. You're faithful to God He blesses you, and you can live these years, this time on this earth, rejoicing in the fruit of being blessed by God. All of us know how to do that. We've experienced that. But there's going to be God's eternal rewards, where they're not just blessings that we enjoy here on this earth, but they're going to be rewards that are going to be given out at the judgment seat of Christ. And that takes place right after the rapture here at the judgment seat. So number five, real quickly here, I want you to see the spiritual truths this morning, three judgments that the Bible speaks about, and they have to deal with born-again believers. This is very important. Listen carefully. The first one is the judgment of sin. The judgment of sin is a past judgment that took place when Jesus died on the cross. And when we receive what he did for us on Calvary, according to the Scriptures, we are free from that judgment. In fact, Romans chapter 8, verse number 1 makes it clear. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. So when a person comes to Christ, when a person receives the Lord Jesus as their Savior, this judgment of sin is past, according to the Scriptures. It was at the cross through God that Jesus dealt with us as sinners. I like that old song we sing from time to time, at the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light, and the burden of my heart was rolled away. It was there by faith I received my sight, and now I'm happy all the day. So there's a past judgment for the believer. But there's also a present judgment. I want you to think about this because it's in this present judgment right now that God deals with you and me as a believer, as his son, as sons. In John 1.12, the word says, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And so this present judgment we have to encounter, we experience this every single time we sin on this earth. And as a believer, listen, just because you're saved, that does not mean you're, you're not going to sin. We all sin and come short of the glory of God, every single one of us. And when we do sin <clears throat> as a believer, the Holy Spirit doesn't wink at us and say, well, try better next time. That's not how it works. When we sin as a believer, the Holy Ghost of heaven will bring great conviction to our spirit and our soul, and we are shaken with it. He brings great conviction to it. And and listen, when he brings conviction, 
which means he lets us know, he alerts us that this is not pleasing to God, this is wrong. And because that conviction overwhelms us as a believer, the Scripture says that if we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, 1 John 1, 9. And so that's, that's very important. And if we do not confess it, the Holy Ghost speaks to our hearts and he says, <clears throat> this is wrong. And we say to ourselves, we say to him, it doesn't matter. This is the pleasure of sin I'd like to enjoy for the moment. And we refuse to deal with it as God would have us to. When we do not confess it, then God will sharply deal with us. In fact, Hebrews 12, verse 5 and 7 makes it clear. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise thou not the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the Father chasteneth not? So there are three judgments. One the judgment of the past, and that was sin Jesus paid for on the cross. The second judgment is how God deals with us now as his children. And the third judgment takes place at the judgment seat, and this is speaking, obviously, of a future judgment. This is where we're going to be judged as servants. On the cross, we were judged as sinners, in this life, we will be judged according to the word of God as saints, and then we're going to be judged at the judgment seat as servants. That judgment takes place in the air. In Romans chapter 14, verse number 10 through 12, the word says, But why dost thou judge thy brother? Or why dost thou set at naught thy brother? For we shall all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. For it is written... As I live, saith the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. Number six, look at it carefully. How will we be judged? In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11 through 15, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved." yet so as by fire. That's another sermon, another day. We certainly believe in the eternal security of the believer. Now, this passage deals definitely with the choices that we have made in life, and all of us make choices every day. In fact, some of us in here today might be one choice away from a train wreck that will have unreversible consequences in our life. Some people today might be making a choice that would become the greatest thing you'll ever do, and that is to trust Jesus as your personal Savior. But every one of us make choices every day. Each of us have to look at ourselves individually every single day and not worry about judging others, but bring yourself into perspective with God. Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. At this judgment seat, every one of us is going to have a very careful examination by the Lord Jesus. All of our life's work will be tried by fire. And so I encourage you today not to let your attention or attractions be anchored to the pleasures of this world. It's only for a season, but be prepared for what's yet to come. At this judgment, listen, it would not profit anybody. You've heard the scripture repetitiously quoted many times. What shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? It's important how we live and how we face the Lord. And so let me ask you this morning to think about this. Let's go into point number seven this morning. Let's look at this. I'm going to speed this up just a little bit. And point number seven, what kind of rewards will be given out at the judgment seat? I believe there's going to be rewards of positions. Because while we're ruling and reigning with the Lord Jesus on this earth, 
for the thousand-year millennial, we're not going to be just floating on clouds drinking rainbow smoothies. That's not the way that it's designed. We're going to be busy. In fact, Revelation 22 verse 5 says this, And there shall be no night there, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 1 through 3, the word says, Dare any of you having a matter against another go to law before the unjust and not before the saints? Do you not know that the saints shall judge the world? And if the world shall be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Know ye not that we shall judge angels? How much more things that pertain to us. And so we're not just going to be listening to music and just uh, smiling and tapping our feet all through the endless ages. Listen, we're going to be busy. We're going to be serving the Lord. We not only serve the Lord on this earth, but we will serve him in the endless ages as well. I want to share this with you about the different types of crowns that we're going to receive. Let me tie this in uh, this morning very quickly because I've given you a place here on your, on your bulletin today, and I want you to follow along with me. Number seven, let's do that again. Five specific crowns. And there is, first of all, listen carefully, the incorruptible crown. According to the word of God in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27, Know ye not, they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so I fight. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Now, the crown that I'm speaking of now is for being a faithful Christian. You are faithful to read the word. You're faithful to share the word. You're faithful. You have obeyed the word. And you have lived your life as a faithful Christian. That's what uh, this particular crown is talking about. The second crown is the crown of rejoicing. And that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 19. For what is our hope of joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? Now, this particular crown is for soul winners. If you have been a soul winner in this world, you're going to receive this particular crown. It's the soul winner's crown. And by the way, let me ask you, have you ever won anybody to Christ? Don't just float around on this earth waiting for the judgment seat, waiting for the rapture, waiting for heaven. I encourage you to get busy and use your Bible, study to show yourself approved, learn all you can and pass it on to somebody else. Pass on what God has showed you and learn how to win somebody to Christ. Number three, quickly, it's the crown of life. In James 1.12, the word says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. This crown is going to be given to those for overcoming temptations and for being faithful to the Lord when confronted about your faith. Number four, quickly, is the crown of glory. And that's found in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse number 4. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And this crown is given to God's faithful pastors. But let me clarify something. God's faithful men and women who spread the word, who teach the word. I don't believe that this particular crown is only going to be given to senior pastors of churches. I believe this particular crown is going to be given to those. You've, you've taught a Sunday school class for years. And in your Sunday school class, you have fed those spiritually that have come to listen to God's Word. You've taught a class. Maybe you have uh, led a Sunday school class. Maybe you've uh, led the church in music and singing, and, but you have presented the Word. You've shared the Word, and that's going to be the faithful crown. And then number five, quickly, is the crown of righteousness. In 2 Timothy 4, verse number 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day. That's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. And not to me only, but unto all them also that love 
his appearing. So this particular crown, the crown of righteousness, is going to be given to those who have faithfully watched for the second coming of the Lord. In fact, the last prayer of the Bible, the word says to pray, even so, come quickly, Lord Jesus. The word teaches us to look for the blessed hope. So I pray that you as a believer, you are really expecting the Lord to return. Not only expecting him to return, but you're watching for him to return. You're longing for him to return. And this crown is given to those, a crown of righteousness, who have longed and waited for the second coming of Christ. Now, number eight, and I close with this. What's the purpose of all of that? What's the purpose of these five crowns? What's the purpose of these rewards given out at the judgment seat of Christ? What's the point, preacher? If by this point I'm saying, thank God I made it. And somebody might say, preacher, I'm not really interested in anything you just said. I'm not interested in rewards. I'm not interested in crowns. I'm just not interested in that stuff. The only thing that I'm interested in, preacher, is I've sweated bullets all of my life that I would not die and go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. But so when I get to heaven, none of that stuff you just said matters to me. It will if you think about this in Revelation 4.4. And round about the throne were four and twenty seats, and upon the seats I saw four and twenty elders sitting clothed in white raiment, and they had on their heads crowns of gold. This is a picture of born-again believers, every single believer gathered in one assembly. Okay, now look at this verse very carefully because the assembly is sitting before the throne. They're clothed in white raiments, and according to the Word of God, they're wearing crowns. We've just spoken that. What's the purpose of it? The answer is in verse 10. The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worshiped him that liveth forever and ever. And look at this. And cast their crowns before the throne. This is why people are not concerned about the judgment seat of Christ. If this pulpit represented the judgment seat, over here it represents life right now. The reason why a lot of people are not concerned about the way they live today, calling themselves believers, and this is really funny, it's casual. You remember when you were a child and you used to play these games and that you play games with groups, Red Rover, Red Rover, you played tag, hide and go seek, those kind of games you played with a group of people. Then there were, there were board games you sat down and you played with a few people around, but then there were solitary games or toys you played with. Little boys played with G.I. Joes and little girls played with Barbie dolls. Then every now and then somebody would have a game called Mr. Potato Head. Do you remember that? And you remember what the objective was? You'd take all of these little crazy little parts and features and big nose and spooky eyes and all this stuff. And you sit there and you you put these little things on this little Mr. Potato Head and you try to make that thing out to look all kinds of ways and crazy and everything else. And and you, you'd occupy your time putting all those features in different many manners. This is what I believe. A lot of people who call themselves believers look at God in a way that we used to look at Mr. Potato Head because this is what we do. We try to put this on God. We try to take that out of God. We try to put this on God. I like that. So I'm going to put that on God. I don't like that. And we take this out of God and we spend our lives trying to make God look like and fit into a casual life that we live in with no remorse and no conviction, no power on our life. And we call ourselves Christians. And we have tried to dress God up like Mr. Potato Head with all of our preferences and take away all the things we don't like. And we try to make God wink at all this stuff. But here's the reason why we do that. 
The reason why a person can call themselves a Christian and live so casually through life is because they fail to see. You might say, I'm not worried about them crowns. I don't want them crowns. I, I'm not paying attention to anything you said right now. And the reason, friend, you can't see the other side of the judgment seat. Because if you could, this is what you would see on this side of the judgment seat. See, right now we're living life right here. We're waiting for the trumpet to sound. We want to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, playing Mr. Potato Head with God. But on the other side, when we see Him face to face, and He begins to call our name, we must all give an account, every one of us, and he begins to call our name. And the word says he begins to try our works by fire. Individually, everyone must give an account of himself. You might say, well, I don't do good in crowds. I'm, I'm just going to skip that event. It doesn't work like that. Every one of us will give an account of ourselves. And as the Lord Jesus looks on our life, he tries our life's works according as by fire. Some will be burned and consumed in the fireworks, burned and consumed in the fire, some will be tried and they will come forth as gold. And the Lord will give us crowns. And again, he's not going to give one person a crown so we can strut all over heaven saying, look what I got. But this is why people are not really concerned about the judgment seat and the rewards. They don't see this side because the crowns are really not given to you and me. The crowns are given. So when the Lord Jesus presents them to us, we can kneel humbly in his presence and we can say, thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. Thank you, Lord, for making me whole. Thank you, Lord, for giving to me Thy great salvation so rich and free. And then we take whatever crown it is that we have and according to the Word of God, we place them at the feet of Jesus. Can you imagine being in heaven without a crown to place at His feet? You see, this side of the judgment seat, it doesn't really matter. Where is his coming? Where's the promise of his coming? Preacher's been preaching forever. He's coming. Where is he? But friend, he's coming. When you get a glimpse of this side, it's a game changer. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, Visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.